sifter.com.au. Hello and welcome to Lightmap from Sifter. On Lightmap, we explore what it takes to make video games and interactive media from creative teams all around the world. My name is Adam. Thanks for joining us this week. On every episode, you get to meet new developers, artists, musicians, researchers, and more. On this week's Lightmap, our guests this week are the award-winning duo behind game studio Fuzzy Ghost, Pete Foley and Scott Ford. Hello. Hi. <laughs> you may know them for their game, Queer Man Peering into a Rockpool.jpg, while they're currently hard at work on a new game called Janet D. Mornay is a Slumlord and a Witch. It promises to explore the anxieties and horrors of what it's like to rent in a world run by landlords. So I guess that means right now. Um, excited to have you both on the show. And we're going to dive into the, the nitty gritty politics and um, the body horror of your game. I'm very excited about it all. But before that, let's find out what's been making the news on Walkthrough, Sifter's weekly news podcast. Hi, I'm Fiona Bartholomew. And I'm Kyle Paletto. And here are the top stories this week on Walkthrough, Sifter's weekly news podcast for Sunday, 10th of March. We have the highlights from this week's Xbox Partner Preview. Roguelike deck builder Bellatro pulled from stores due to misunderstanding about its gambling content. A 2.4 million US dollar settlement has killed the two biggest Switch and 3DS emulators. And this year's BAFTA award nominations are here. You can get every episode of Walkthrough for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or on our website, sifter.com.au, every Sunday. Join the Sifter community on Discord at sifter.com.au forward slash Discord. I thought I wanted to start off with the idea of horror comedy, which is something you've described this new game, Janet DeMornay as a slumlord and a witch. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's tricky because we don't have a lot of things like we talk about Beetlejuice and Poltergeist as being inspirations for the game, but they neither of those kind of fit neatly into horror comedies. I guess what's the most recent example, like Shaun of the Dead or something like that. I can't think of a more recent film. No, and I think, I think that's one thing that really draws us to this like mix of tone is that we don't get a lot of it at the moment. Like horror films tend to s- set themselves up as it's horror, you're going to have a tense time, the end, which is great. But I like to be a bit scared and then I want to laugh and then Mm. the human experience is so varied in tone all over the place, I don't see why our our games can't be the same. Yeah, and I often think of um, ones that have social commentary as well, like George A. Romero's um, Is It Day of the Walking Dead, the original where it's set in the shopping centre. Um, yeah, that, and that the classic of... sort of capitalist consumerism critique through mm, zombies. Yeah, mm. yeah, and that has everything. Like that, yeah, it has the horror. It has just the mundane. It has hilarity as well. Um, so that's definitely one that I, I think of from time to time. Um, so that's kind of the zone that we're thinking of. I, I wonder also if if we can maybe also add into that zone is the, is there is there an element of camp coming out of this as well? Like um, I, I think of Janet's hand, her name. Uh, the she's a very of like I'm getting big shoulder pads in my mind already. Just like a very you, powerful you've got it. 80s lady owns millions of apartments, does not care about you. So she's a she's a faded shopping channel star. Like this is this is camp. She yeah. Janet really is our attempt at uh, putting our entry into the like the diva canon the monsters that you love to see on screen. I love the diva cannon. And so that, that, that's quite <laughs> exciting as well. Um, 
how about we 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 talk about her inception and how she came about? You've you've mentioned the diva canon, but what was what was the drawing board, the very beginning starting points for this character? Uh, Delia Dietz, I think, from Beetlejuice um, was a big influence because um, we love Catherine O'Hara, the actress who plays her. Um, that was definitely one of the main ones. A mm. bit of Trude, Trude and Prude from Kath and Kim as well. Um, a lot of Big Girls Blast, actually, which is the show um, that they made before before that. Um, so get like getting a lot of Australianisms in there in terms of like the television shopping network and like glossy nineties mm. ads and a bit of cheese and stuff. So that's all in there as well. And in terms of the witchiness, there's a bit of like Yzma from Emperor's New Groove and Cruella Deville, like that kind of like fabulous gay icon, witch monster. They're clearly a villain, but you're not mad about it. Yeah, what I what I almost like to think of in a lot of ways is Disney's unintentional queer coding of its villains sort of thing. That sort of oops, uh, it's actually a drag queen. That sort of vibe that comes through, I think, a lot of the times. With I mean, I don't I don't know how oops that homophobia is, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I say oops with air quotes. I think <laughs> yeah, okay, good, 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 good. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk about some of the easy stuff with the themes uh, in this game. Uh, I'm assuming this game is influenced by the current cost of living, inflation, rental affordability, and availability homing house crisis that we find ourselves enmeshed in right now. Um, what made you want to explore those themes and unpack them through this game? We were talking about. After Queer Man Peering, which is uh, uh, not the most accessible of games, like our friends that don't play a lot of games would be like, oh, cool, you know. And then we were thinking about wanting, so what can we make that would involve them, that would excite them and want to play with? And one, one genre that we always play together with these friends is horror games. Even if they're not controlling, we kind of have this like lovely family experience of sitting around while Scotty kind of plays and we all scream together and have a lovely time. So that kind of was the intro to horror. We're like, okay, well, what kind of horror would we do? And you have a great story about this, Scott. Uh, oh yeah, we, we, we rent here and have rented for 15 years in Sydney and um, we've been in this place for two years, but I have these massive cracks on our bedroom wall um, that I've been trying to get fixed for a long time. And I was kind of like, oh, you know, we, I, if I want to get those fixed, you have to take it to the next step. Like you have to start talking about um, tribunal and, you know, all these extra steps. And there's an element of fear in that because it's like they can, in, in New South Wales especially, they can get you to leave for no grounds, no grounds eviction um, law. So in 90 days, we'd have to be out no matter what, like no reason given. And we don't and that- think that they'd necessarily do it, but it is knowing that the, they do have the power that if you kick up a stink, to just be like, we don't want to deal with that. Or just ask for something basic, like a prac fix, and they can just get... So there's fear there. Um, yeah. In all in every interaction with um, real estate and landlords, there's an element of fear for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. And so, yeah, while we were trying to think up what's something relatable and terrifying, renting was uh, very quick to emerge as the clear option. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's a very universal experience for a lot of younger people as well, and and a lot of queer people as well who, you know, because of the nature of queerness, sometimes your ties to family, your connections to 
um, inheritance, etc., may be all thrown out the window. Um, you know, if even if you come from a place of privilege, the the act of being queer means that they may all be severed, and you might find yourself in precarious living conditions, social conditions, etc., which leads you to be more within. I would say the large majority of people these days that are priced out entirely of the housing market and the ability to rent. Um, so it feels like a very universal experience that definitely also hits on, I guess, a lived experience for a lot of queer people as well across this country too. Um, tell me a little bit about bringing in some of those themes as well, because I noticed that you've mentioned that this game is set in an inner city terrace house in Sydney um, and it has a particular queerness about it. It's going to have gay on gay relationships and queer characters throughout. Um, how are you going to make this game feel queer um, in terms of its environments, its locations, the house itself. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's set in uh, the share house in Chippendale that we lived in for 10 years. Um, and, and share house didn't have place. There's a lot of stories just in that space and, and from personal experience in there. Um, but yeah, I think to go back to your point about it affecting uh, queer people, we are including a lot of stories in there um, about how queer people found family, all that kind of thing coming together um and and the difficulties of that and and also the the joy and the pleasure of that as well yeah and in terms of how like it it's it's quite queer because it is a share house of three queers um two cis gay men and an nb and they're all just this gorgeous found family that have each other even amongst fighting amongst themselves and um and we're determined to kind of show them in the spaces living together as well. You know, often in a horror game um, and early on, actually, we were just going to be like they were disappeared or you had to recover them. But Pete was very much about, no, we want them there. We want to see them. We want their bodies and to see queer, different kind of queer bodies and, and relationships and touch being a part of it. Yeah. Um, throughout The physicality so. and the, the physical proximity they have as queer found family. Mm. I feel like we don't see that almost ever in games. Um just that a different physicality and a different closeness where you don't have to be like, that's my girlfriend. So therefore we are like, I need to care about her if she's in danger. Instead, these people just care for each other because they're good people. And I feel like that's something that we're only just beginning to even see on like smaller screen, like the, the silver screen and on television as well. It's like, mm. it's, it feels like we're only just starting to see a couple of TV shows come out there and really portray the idea of queer families, queer found families, queer share housing groups living together in their homes. I can only yep. think of like a couple of shows, Pose being a big one for me that really mm. kind of shows the dynamics and relationships of a found family kind of living in a home together, particularly like a rented home or a home that like at times feels like it might be dealing with neglect because of landlords. And yeah. so it's exciting to see a game that really wants to portray that space in, in an authentic way. Um, so I guess with authenticity and about all of this, you've mentioned that this is based on a real home. I'm, I'm assuming you've modeled it on your old share houses. Oh, yeah. Like anybody who visited us in that time sees the trailer and is like, oh, 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 like every, you, it is even down to a lot of the furniture. It's pretty, it's pretty accurate. Yeah. And it's, it's located on a very central main road in, in a city, in a city, Sydney as well. So I wonder, I suspect a lot of Sydney siders will recognize it as well. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully not too, too not many. Not too much. 
Tell me a little bit about some of the other ways you're you're bringing that authenticity in, because I know that there's a call out at the moment for people to submit their their horror stories of of renting. How is that process going? And then how are you converting some of those stories into actual horror experiences in a game? Yeah, so we we mostly we started we did this call out because anytime we'd talk about the premise, even very early on, talk about it's about being haunted by your landlord there'd be this big smile and this like knowing nod and fairly universally then a story would come out of like some horrible time whoever we were talking to had had. And so we're like, well, we could, uh, we kind of liked this. There's this kind of shared experience when you tell these horror stories that you've lived through, you've made peace with, and now you're just happy to like laugh at the horror of what happened to you, knowing that everybody will laugh along with you with the kind of, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And it's this very horrible, but very beautiful kind of shared bitch session. And so we thought that if we did a call out and then we put it in the, we'll have it in the game as uh, case files, as so case files. Yeah. Like- riffing on um, Resident Evil, Silent Hill, Control, which we loved, the case files in that one, um, just these really great documents that you collect uh, as you go around the game. So, like, something happens to the real estate agent in the game and their office gets uh, disembodied. And so um, you'll be going around and you'll find, yeah, like, real people's stories as though we all have the same real estate and then you might get comments from the real estate that are just, I guess, what probably what happened in real life, mm. and which is just so neglectful and not caring. And, um, yeah, I think the idea of, while it's a very fanciful game, you're going through these, like, sparkly, haunted, acrylic-nailed-filled environments, you still know that it's all based on, it's certainly based on a seed of truth, and these stories are true, and that's kind of horrible mm. I, I love the reference to control which was really one of the first games where i actually felt myself reading every single bit of case file Same. Same. or text it was just so wonderfully written and and so inventive it captured that feeling of like such a oh, joy. these could all be great episodes of the x files there was yes. one about mm-hmm. someone who was trapped in the telephone wires of a telephone system and how mm. they were calling people being like where am i how do i get out of the phones and i just feel like that's such a wonderful little slice of of horror that you could expect from like you know some sort of stephen king book to pop out about yes, yes. um and i'm excited Clearly to see so what you're gonna ideas. do yeah, it sounds like you're going to have a lot of fun with lots of the stories that are coming through uh, from people as you sort of reassemble them into these little case files. Are there any stories that have really stood out for you so far from the submission, ones that popped to the top of your head that you'd like to share? Or, um, Yeah, absolutely. We had one um, of someone who had gotten a place on their own, um, I think it was during lockdown, um, got it because it had a lovely lush green backyard because uh, they had a, a, a dog as well. And then... For whatever reason, they just the owner decided to get rid of the weeds and the grass. So it was all sprayed, but then all the grass died. And then the rains came and mud, dirt washed away, and there were white bits that were revealed, probably from construction. There's white bits or leftover materials were asbestos. Um, so they, yeah, they went over this lengthy pro- thing trying to get it proven, and the, the owner was denying it. And so eventually they lost the case 
as well. She spent hundreds of dollars getting professionals out to test it, had it verified, and the tribunal refused to believe the professionals. And so she had to leave the house. And so there's probably someone living there now with grass and a thin layer of dirt over the top of asbestos in their backyard. Wow. I mean, like these these are real horrific stories that have an ability to really impinge on people's like bodily autonomy, their health, their safety. I think we we talk a lot about black mold and about like mildew and dampness in rental uh, accommodation as well, as well as the idea of like heat wave prone homes too. Um, I think Better Renters just put out a report this week about the fact that there is a large proportion of people that are living in homes across Australia at the moment where there is just no support for, for heat waves. Um, these houses capture heat and don't let them go. Um, and it's it's something like 40% plus of renters are in conditions where they can't control their temperature to safe levels when it gets too hot. You know, side note from that, <laughs> let's talk about what I'm calling from the trailer the Goatsy Oven. Um, and I don't know if that 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 <laughs> internet deep cut hits you um, in the way that you're intending to go. Sure but, does. Um, <sighs> there is a particular moment in the trailer where an <laughs> oven is opened and we see what is it like what I would describe as a red hot portal to some sort of body horror realm that feels very physical, feels very bodily. Um, it reminds me a little bit of of the quick, the crawl space portal in being John Malkovich that leads to a portal to his mm. mind. I yes. get a bit of that. Thank you. Um, yeah, good. What I'm really interested about though, is because it specifically feels like the body anatomy about the internals of a body. Um, and you know, we could, we could go into details about like passages and various other stuff. I'm sort of curious, like why the internal body here being represented in this in this portal or this tunnel is it about sort of like the idea of the landlord or your body not even being like something that is out of touch you know if that makes sense like you know landlords have the ability to extend their reach even into the innermost workings of your body itself yeah, great, uh, great you, work. You yeah. are kind of foreshadowing a lot of the themes of the game. And that is very unexpected and very well done. Um, yeah, yeah, good <laughs> job. Because um, when I was thinking of the game, we were thinking of the game and kind of just jotting down ideas. Of course, the, the cliche phrase came like living rent free in someone's head. Um, and I kind of, we kind of just went from there. And yeah, love body horror, like um, uh, the director of the thing whose name has somehow has disappeared from my brain, even though I love their work so much. Um, the original thing and uh, John Carpenter, goodness, oh, good job. God, my brain. Like we were watching through a lot of his films as well, like going back to Christine and um, The Fog and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, just great body horror stuff. Um, so that really played into that as well. So yeah, a lot of hands, a lot of weird hands doing a lot of weird things to people <laughs> um, is very much yeah uh, part of the game. And it just, it, it has that, I guess, if someone feels like, the roof over your head is their property. How you live your life ends up becoming part of their property. And so they're worried about it. And that's why there's a big theme of the game of doing chores and like being really patronized in terms of having to clean your own space because it's not your space. They're very aware that it's their space. And so there's this element of patronizing and control that they have over your choices and what you do with your daily life invasion in every huge invasion yeah. yeah 
Hmm. And so which is like a, a regular experience for renters as well, because we've all had to go through that process of the the very regular rental inspection process where they're coming over, they're making sure that the house is clean. You get the nice little passive aggressive card at the end if your landlord wants to give you a card saying thanks for cleaning. And then maybe like in my case, at one place, a candy was left like a little wrapper candy that you could like eat as a treat. Like good good boy, you've cleaned the house. Um, which can feel very paternalistic in a lot of ways or, or just patronizing as you've as you've described as well. Um, you've mentioned chores. Um, what are some of the other mechanics of the game? Um, tell me a little bit about gameplay in 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 Janet D. Monet. What are people doing? I guess they're walking around a house and and interrogating black mold, but what what actually does it feel like? <laughs> yes, sure. It's very um kind of similar to Gone Home in many ways, I guess, in that it's first-person, narrative-driven. We're trying to make it a little little more open-ended than our previous games in that in terms of you can walk around and kind of tackle things at your own leisure. Because the house is held together in many ways by um, Janet DeMornay's magic, um, but it's also crumbling, much like a lot of real rental houses are. So... Um, doors can be kind of messed with and take you to different places, kind of like in um, uh, House Moving Castle, because um, I love the book of that and also the movie as well in their own different ways. But, yeah, that kind of enchanted door where if you do it a particular way, it'll take you somewhere else. But we're kind of doing a messed up, broken down yeah. version of that where you have to kind of navigate to get around, almost like an escape room kind of vibe, like the the simple puzzles from Resident Evil and Silent Hill like that, that reward knowing the space. Yeah, yeah, and then you'll you'll open your bedroom in the morning to go out, and then the hallway won't be there. It'll be like another cavern or an underground car park or something, and you've kind of got no choice but to keep walking and try and work out where you've ended up and why. And that's kind of the big. It's kind of the main the main gameplay of the game, I suppose. Yeah, hmm. I I love that a lot. It reminds me a lot of some some really wonky share houses I've lived in. One particular place had a, a doorway to nowhere. It was just a door that never opened, uh, just at the back of a, a, a sort of a, a hallway that got smaller and smaller as you walked down it, which is a very sort of weird, trippy experience. It was a terrace house that just had a strange hallway that shrank. I love it. Sounds like um, when they try to rebuild Ned Flanders' house. It's just that tiny, tiny hallway to Barney Gumble's eye. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like there's going to be a lot of fun with playing around with the actual physicality of the space of the house itself and warping and twisting it too, which sounds like there's a lot of potentiality there for for making people feel disorientated as space changes around them too, which, you know, I think can also sort of mirror that experience of renting and the power imbalance there between renter and landlord. Yeah, very much. Very much. Well, thank you so much for talking us through um, what looks to be a very exciting horror game. I really can't wait to play this one and to play it with people because I think, as you mentioned before, horror games are best experienced with a group of people. It is Janet D. Mornay is a slums lord and in brackets and a witch. It's a horror comedy game that is being worked on by Fuzzy Ghost, who are Pete Foley and Scott Ford, who have joined me today on Lightmap. Where can we go to find out more about this game? Uh, you can just search it on Steam. At the moment, we have our call out for more real rental horror stories, and you can find the link to that on our website, which is fuzzyg.host slash Janet. Awesome. And I believe you're also at underscore fuzzyghost underscore on Instagram and Twitter as well. So if you're on socials yes. and want to check out a bit more about that game, you can head there as well. 
Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having us. Articles to read, podcasts to listen to, and videos to watch on sifter.com.au. Sifter is produced by Fiona Bartholomeus, Daniel Ang, and myself, Adam Christou. Mitch Lowe is our senior producer, and Gianni Di Giovanni is our executive producer. A big thank you to Omni Studio for their support of Sifter's three podcasts. You can find links to everything we talked about on today's show on our website, which is sifter.com.au, and you can read more about various other games and guests we've featured across the Sifter network as well. Why not join the Sifter community? If you enjoyed this and you want to share your creativity with others or just talk about games with a bunch of chill people on Discord, you can head to sifter.com.au forward slash Discord. That'll take you there and you can say hi to the Sifter team as well. Please share this show. It is the number one free thing that you can do to support us. Word of mouth is really important to indie podcasts like this. So let your friends know if you've enjoyed this episode. And if you're excited about this game and want people to find out about it, share this episode so that they hear about it as well. That's it for now. Thanks for joining us and see you on the next episode of Light Map. Chris Button here from Drop Rate, Sifter's video game review podcast. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is finally here, continuing the ambitious reimagining of a beloved classic. It's very, very funny. I guess like that's that's part of the silliness, you know. Like you have this these really big world-ending stakes. You know, Sephiroth is a really terrifying villain. You know, the world's ending, and I think to have a game that is still fun and pleasant to play, I think maybe the tone is kind of. It's important to strike both tones because you need that levity so that it's not constantly depressing, you know? And I think so having the characters have that humour and like having the mini games and having it be a little bit lighter hearted, I think does give you that hope. Does it uphold the legacy of the famous original or burn Midgar to ashes to forge its own path? Find out on Drop Rate, available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.